And last week we started a mini-series which we're calling 2018 an inviting year. And the truth is that God has huge plans for us this year as a church, as individuals and as a community. I really believe he is extending to us an invitation at the start of 2018 to step out of our comfort zones, step beyond our safe and protected spaces in faith, and to step in to more of what God has for us, more risk-taking, more kingdom adventures. And for us this year, one of the things that that means is that it means us growing as a church in the whole area of inviting. And last week we looked at Isaiah 61, which is Jesus' job description. Um, It describes the bringing of good news to the poor and freedom to those who are enslaved. It paints a picture of a journey from brokenness to wholeness, from darkness to light, and describes how in God's big story, those who are in need of rescue, those who are trapped, those who are messed up, those who lack hope, actually find hope and then become the ones to bring hope to others. That we, those who are in need of repair, become those who restore and rebuild. Those who have been devastated find hope, find peace, find freedom, and become part of God's big story of transformation and freedom and life, which is what we're all about here at the Vineyard Church. And um, I flagged this up last week as well, but some of you may not have been here. I just reminded us that our vision as a church is that God wants us to, he wants to rewrite the story of our city. He wants to change things for the better. Our communities are great, but they're not perfect. There are plenty of people in need. There are plenty of institutions in need of hope and life. You only have to open your eyes and look at the news and look at what's going on around you to figure that out. And that is our mission as a church. And I talked about as well, that's our mission, that's our vision statement, if you like. But what's our strategy? How are we going to fulfill that? And I talked about how we fulfill it by stewarding the presence of God. Just like we have done this morning. We meet, we gather, we expect him to come and be with us. And when he does... We try our best to just stay in that place and listen to what he has to say and spend the time. So we steward the presence of God both in our gathered environments, which is our church meetings and our small groups and our alpha courses. And we steward the presence of God as well as we're out as scattered servants in the ordinary everyday of life, being aware of what God is doing and how we as carriers of his presence can make a difference. That's why we're doing a whole conference on releasing words of life, just training us to hear what God is saying and to share that with other people and to speak it into situations. And so, you know, we expect that when people meet with us, whether they meet with us out there or they meet with us in here, that they will also expect something of God's presence, that they will also experience something of God's presence. And our vision and our strategy haven't changed. But as Joe and I were thinking and praying about this year, 2018 specifically, we felt like what God wanted to do was put a focus on inviting. And so we've made inviting one of our key themes of the year. And in fact, last week, just towards the end last week, I mentioned this, I'm going to mention it again. And what that means for us and the way that I'm sort of trying to to show you how serious we are about this is that we've actually changed our list of what we call functional membership around here. Now, for many years, we've been saying that uh, if you want to be a member here, we don't have a dotted line for you to sign on. We don't have a contract or a swearing-in ceremony or anything formal like that. We don't have membership classes. We don't do anything like that. We simply say, if you want to be a member here, 
then you will function as a member. And the four things that we've been saying for years are that you'll worship with us on a Sunday, that you'll join a life group with us, that you'll make some friends and become part of the community, that you'll become a host by joining our team. And we were able to really have a great night on Friday and just say thank you to the many people who have joined our teams and who've served to make church happen. There are people serving this morning. There are people who've come here early and will stay late to make church happen so that guests can come and experience God's presence, so that church can work well. And we say as well, as that functional membership is buying in, it's giving to the vision. It's if you own the vision, own the vision. If you buy into it, buy into it. You know, and, and, and how that affects our money and what we do with our money as well is all part of that. And then what we're saying this year is, and this is quite a bold step, I think I'm slightly nervous about the fact that we've done this, but there we go. We have decided to make inviting so much part of our culture that we would expect that everybody who considers themselves a member here would also be thinking about who, God, are you asking me to invite to something that our church is doing? Be that an alpha course like we've just heard about, be that a small group, be that a Sunday service or a kids group or something we're doing out in the community or a clothes swap that's going on in a couple of weeks' time. I mean, that's, I'm not coming, by the way. I think you said, is it for girls? I think it's for ladies, yeah. <laughs> that's what membership looks like around here. And inviting is so important that we've decided to make this part of our functional membership code as it were now you might think that's a bit extreme Nigel that's a bit radical okay you're changing things that's a bit you know it's only the start of the year we haven't really got going yet but for me it it signifies an intentional culture shift which will lead to more people ultimately hearing the good news about Jesus and finding him and meeting him for themselves and experiencing that positive transformation that Isaiah talks about and that Jesus talked about that's why I don't know about you but that's why I'm in this I'm in this because it's God's heart of mission and adventure and because I want to change the world and I want to see the communities and the networks and the places that I've got any kind of influence at all transformed by the power of God. I'm not just in this for a good time. I hope you know that. And I hope you think the same. And by the way, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian today, if you're here and you you wouldn't say that you were a believer, first of all, just thanks for coming. We really appreciate you coming to be with us. I hope that this talk's helpful in your journey of discovering more about what it means to follow Jesus. And by the way, if you are in that place, I would highly recommend the Alpha course. Anyway, let's talk about inviting. You see, inviting really has to start, before we get to us inviting others, it starts with us understanding Jesus' invitation to us. And I spoke on this a couple of times recently. But Jesus has three invitations that we read about. And you can dig back, go back on the website and listen to the talk I did in September about this to get the full details. But he says, firstly, come and rest. Are you stressed out, he says? Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you fed up of trying to make life work? Come and find your peace. Come and find your rest with me. All of you, he says, who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. I wonder if we know what it is just to find that peace in the presence of God. I wonder what habits and practices that we are building into our lives habitually to help us connect with Jesus and experience his peace. You see, his first invitation actually doesn't really require anything of us other than just to come. Other than just to come and be with him. He's not being pushy. He's being generous. He's saying, if you come and hang around with me, you will experience some kind of peace. How many of us need that today? 
How many of us needed it before we came this morning? And we come and we worship and we experience something of God's presence. And his second invitation is to come and follow. Have you, I wonder, we, I wonder if I can ask you this question. Have you, at any time in your life, made a conscious decision to fully and wholeheartedly submit your life over to Jesus? Have you done that? If the answer is yes, fantastic. If you haven't, is it something you want to think about? Actually following Jesus, not just experiencing his peace, which is a wonderful starting point, but actually deciding, now actually my life is going to be different. I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to follow him. We call that becoming a Christian or becoming a disciple or choosing to follow Jesus. And it is possible to hang around a church and hang around the people of God and not actually have ever made that decision in your heart for yourself, to commit to that. And if that's you and you'd like to, there's an opportunity to do that today. But even if that's you and you've done that before, another question is, is it still something you want to do? Is that still how I want to live my life, fully and wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus, deliberately, intentionally following his way? Because that could become a reality for you today as well. What would you want to say to him? And the last invitation Jesus has is, come and abide with me. Come and dwell with me. Come and live with me. Make this a reality that our lives are in a constant and close proximity to Jesus. Yes, we've experienced his peace. Yes, we've decided to follow him. And now we're actually, well, here's a phrase that Paul often uses about this, the definition of discipleship, to consistently and systematically rearrange our lives Almost every day, so that we become more like Jesus. Are we actually organizing our lives so that we can be close to him? Or are we hoping that that will happen and just carrying on with our lives the way we always have? And that's the journey we're on. That's the invitation of Jesus. Maybe today is a day to recommit our lives to him or to ruthlessly deal with issues. And once we've responded to Jesus' invitation to us, if we're genuinely following through on that, then that kind of has to become an invitation from us to others. That we can go and we can say, we've experienced this incredible presence. How about you? Would you at least like to consider what it might be to follow Jesus for yourself? And last week I touched on the difference between us being a welcoming church and an inviting church. I looked about how welcoming was a key part of what we do. But some people are never going to experience the welcome that we know we can give them because they haven't taken a step through our door. And they won't do that unless somebody specifically invites them. So just think about the people in your world, the people in your network, in your circle of influence. might be friends, might be family, might be colleagues, work colleagues, course mates, parents in the playground, whoever it is, who of those people in your network might actually benefit from coming to church once in a while? Or or might actually enjoy or get something out of being in an alpha course? Who might find what we do here interesting or might enjoy just that experience of resting in God's presence? Or who has some kind of emotional or spiritual need that they could probably get some help with if they came here. I wonder if you can think of anybody. Can, they, can you think of anybody? Because I can. 
And who, the next question is, who is the best person to invite that person to think more about God? How else are they going to know? How will they know? How will they experience God's presence unless we tell them or we pray for them? Or we invite them to come to somewhere where somebody will? Is there somewhere that we know, where we know that we can guarantee, almost certainly guarantee, a really warm and friendly welcome for guests who come? Is there somewhere we know, where we know we can help people feel at ease if they're on unfamiliar ground, where we can give them good coffee and explain what's going on, and where we can just see if actually there might be something God wants to do? Can you think of anywhere like that? Because I can. How will they come unless they're invited? And even more challenging, I'm going to ask the question direct. Who is God calling us to invite? To the Alpha launch party on Saturday? Or to come and be part of this church? And why is that such a challenge for many of us? There's a guy called Michael Harvey. And he writes and researches and thinks about inviting people back to church. In fact, in the Anglican church, he kind of was in charge of a big initiative, which they call Back to Church Sunday. And he talks all around this subject of inviting. And Michael said this, I have found that between 80 and 95% of congregation members, this is across the church generally, have no intention of inviting anyone. 80 to 95%. Maybe that's a surprise for you. In some churches, that's, that means as little as 5% of the church, of the congregation, are doing any inviting. Even in growing churches, it means that 20% of the congregation are inviting, which means that 80% aren't. This is proven research. This is a proper scientific empirical questionnaires across a whole range of people. That's a pretty shocking stat, isn't it? So the question is, why not? Why aren't people inviting? And Michael researched this and came up with a list of 12 reasons why people don't invite people to church. Here's what he came up with. I hope you can read that. Um, I suffer and I don't want my friends to suffer. <laughs> my friend won't want to go, as they said no to me last year. We have no non-church-going friends. It's the church leader's job. Yeah, right. I was never invited. I was born into the church. Literally born? How does that work? Um, what if it damages my friendship? Our services and people are unpredictable. Yeah, they are sometimes. I fear the congregation will think my friend is not our type of person. I am reticent. Religion is a private matter. I don't want to be seen as strange. At least they're honest. They might ask us something about my faith and I just don't know what to say. I mean, that's fascinating reasons. Maybe you can relate to some of these reasons. Maybe you can relate to all of these reasons. What I'm hearing when I read those reasons, what's underlying that is a little four-letter word, and the word is fear. In fact, as Michael Harvey puts it, he, I haven't got the quote on there, but he said, we are a church in fear, and we have a very little perception of that fear. Imagine, if you will, a sort of moat around the church. We were praying the other day, and one of the people we were praying with, one of the team, had this picture. And he said, it's like there's a moat around the church. A moat as in, you know, an old-fashioned castle moat. And it's not necessarily easy to know how to get across. And we were praying specifically about Alpha, and we were just talking to the Lord about what it's going to take for people to come and experience his presence in Alpha. 
What does it take for people to cross over? Is it something that they have to do, come this way, or actually is it something that we have to do going that way? And as we were praying, I was reminded of the verse in Isaiah, chapter 54. And you've heard it tons of times. It gets quoted around church sometimes. And the, the verse is, enlarge the place of your tent and stretch your curtains wide and don't hold back and lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Now, this is written in a culture where that's how they kind of lived in tents. Yeah, so try and think about what that would be in a modern, in a modern era. It says, you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in desolate cities. And I wonder if, in fact, it isn't the truth that it's something that we need to do to go out, to take the stakes of the tent further, to stretch our borders, to stretch our barriers. So in, if you go back to that analogy of the moat, I wonder if we have to build some bridges fill in some gaps, lay a path for people to come. And we have to actually step out to do that. And for me, what that means is that means inviting. What's holding us back from inviting? Let's look at this fear. I don't have time to address all those reasons today. But I would like to just pick up on number two, which says, my friend said no My friend won't want to go as they said no to me last year. Let's unpack that a little bit. What if you ask somebody if they would like to come to Alpha or come to church and they say no? So what? I mean, firstly, just to reiterate what I said last week, our responsibility is not whether they say yes or no. Our responsibility is the invitation. And last week, um, somebody sent me an email on the Monday um, occasionally I get emails on a Monday. Mostly they're very nice ones. Um, and this was a very nice one. That's a little warning. Don't send me nasty emails. It's not good. Anyway, this was a nice one. And she said, I was um, in church yesterday listening to you speak and I had this picture. And I'm just going to read to you what she said. And it's uh, relevant to this picture. She says, so we have an invitation to Dragon's Den. This is the picture that she saw. She's describing it. And we think we're going to have to stand in front of a row of judges and justify to them what we're worth what we offer, what we can do, why we're a better proposition than the next person. And we're terrified that they won't think we're worth anything at all. And the problem is, we've completely misunderstood the invitation. We're not required to stand and prove ourselves investable. We get to sit in one of the leather chairs. As Jesus stands before us and gives us his pitch, Isaiah 61 brokenness. This is what I've come for. His job description, his mission statement, he already knows what resources we have to offer. That's why he comes to us with this big idea. And all he wants to know is, are you in? Are you in? And this also underlines the point, she goes on, that we, the inviters, are not responsible for anyone else's decision on whether they choose to invest or not, or even to hear the pitch. And I like this little phrase, but God would really like us to get bums on the eclectic mix of leather seats if we possibly can. I like that. So the person who's been invited is 100% responsible for their response, not us. How are we measuring our success here? We might think, well, success means we bring people to church. No, not at all. Success is, I've written it down, success is we invite one person And we leave the yes or no up to God. And if we've invited someone to the church and they've already said no, 
Is that a reason not to invite them again? Not particularly. Some people are just not in that place yet, fair enough. But every time we ask them, they get a bit closer. Let's think about what's going on inside of us in these moments, because that's really where the nub of this is. Frankly, as I said, what we're dealing with here is fear. And some of us fear being thought of as strange or odd or weak. We experience a fear. We think, oh, what are they going to think of us? If I, what's that person going to think of me if I say, oh, come to church with me? Now, we may not even be, want to recognize or use the word fear. Maybe we dress that up in a few more subtle words. Maybe we're saying, oh, it's a bit stressful or we're a little bit apprehensive or concerned or nervous. We're careful. We're reluctant. All of those words are fear. We might not recognize it, but it is there. And what's behind all of this is the basic, common garden, human fear of rejection. Am I going to be rejected by this person if I ask them to do something that they might not feel comfortable with or that actually I don't feel comfortable with? So what happens when we, when we face fear? How do we face that? How do we confront that? See, most of us believe that fear is harmful, so we don't go there. Actually, that's not quite true. See, God gave us fear to teach us to survive, not to paralyze us. And when we face things that cause us fear and we come through them, that's when we grow. We become resilient. We become strong. When we've experienced a genuine fear before and we've dealt with it in the past and we come to it again, we're like, oh, it's okay. I've been here before. I can do this. Now, not all fear is good, of course. At its worst, chronic fear can paralyze us for days and weeks and months. It can cripple us. So I'm not talking about that. I'm not trying to say that that kind of fear is good. But I'm talking about the things which in the moment feel utterly horrendous, but which when faced and come through actually cause us to grow and take positive steps towards fulfilling what God has called us to do. So for me, as a kid, it was music exams and performances. I learned the piano and I learned the clarinet. And every time I had to get up in front of somebody, boy, oh boy, would I sweat and shake and feel nervous. But you grow in confidence. I remember as a student teacher, the first time I ever actually stood in front of a class and taught a lesson, I actually remember standing with my back to the class, writing on the board, thinking, I've got to turn around at some point and teach this class. I was so nervous. So I'd just never done it before. I remember when Joe and I, seven and a half years ago, got up in front of our church where we'd been for 20 years and said, look, um, God has been speaking to us and we think we're going to stop and we're not sure what the next step is for us. And we, we were talking about this last night. Joe was in the loo two minutes beforehand. We were feeling sick as anything. And it wasn't that we minded getting up in front of people. It was that what we were saying represented a point of no return. For us, it was a no-going-back moment, something new, which actually affected our whole lives. All of us experience these moments when we know that our heart's beating fast, we know that we're about to cross a line or do something that we haven't done before or go somewhere we haven't been before. And that is the point exactly at which we need to put our faith in place of our fear. Can you relate to this? Just nod your head and smile at me if you can. Thank you. Good, because you're all very quiet. I think that means you're listening, but you know, you never know. Um, <clears throat> Jesus knew this would happen. He knew it would happen to us a lot, and he anticipated it with these words from Matthew 28. He said, surely I am with you just today and tomorrow? No, 
When did he say? Surely I am with you until the end of the age. Forever I am with you. The essence of our faith is that we believe that Jesus is with us in every situation. Every situation. Which part of the word every do you not understand? Fear is the anticipation of potential pain. It might be physical or emotional pain. We're afraid because we think, oh, something's going to happen that's going to hurt me. But often our fears aren't founded. Or at least most situations are not as bad as we imagine they're going to be. And fear directs our attention to things that we may have found frightening in the past. It clouds our judgment. We don't take in what people are saying. We don't think clearly. We become immovable and stuck. And that's a problem, isn't it? And if we don't deal with that, we're just going to put it down and we're never going to do stuff. There's a book by a lady called Susan Jeffers. It's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Oh, hello. It's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And she says there are three things that you need to know about fear. One, it never goes away as long as we continue to grow. If we're doing new stuff, if we're moving forward, if we're growing and maturing, then we are always going to experience fear of some kind. Number two, we can get rid of it by doing what we fear. Now, one and two are a little bit funny because they sound contradictory. It's possible in the moment to get rid of fear by just stepping in, but we have to know that perhaps when we come around again, we might experience that again. But that's okay, because we're going to keep growing. And the third thing is that all of us feel fear when we are on unfamiliar ground. When you're doing something new, you'll feel afraid. Without fear, there actually would be no progress, no movement, no growth. So what does God think about this? The Bible is very clear about fear. There are 80 clear cases of God saying, do not be afraid. And at least 30 others where he says something close. Here's one example, Genesis 28, 15. He says, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised. Here's another one, Psalm 121, one of my favorite Psalms. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. And a little bit further down, I love it, I haven't got it up there, but it says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I wrote a a song about that for kids called My God Never Goes to Sleep. Because I was thinking about that. I don't need to worry as I lie down and go to sleep because he is not sleeping. He doesn't need to. So I was thinking about how that means he never has to sort of prop his eyes open in the morning or get out of bed and drink coffee to wake himself up because he never went to sleep in the first place because he's always watching over us. Always. The Bible is full of stories about people who were afraid, almost paralyzed with fear. I haven't got time to go into them, but think about Moses at the burning bush. He's there, bush gets on fire. The voice of God speaks to him, I need you to go back to Egypt and free my people. What, me? Oh yeah, sure, of course I will. He doesn't say that. He goes, are you insane, God? I'm a wanted murderer there. Surely, I I can't even speak properly. My brother can go. Absolutely petrified. God says, no, no, I'm going to be with you. You're going to go. Think of the story of David and Goliath. You know, we know this great story. We used to tell it every week with our kids. We used to act it out, actually. And, um, you know, little David, it's a brilliant story, isn't it? Little David gets a little stone, chucks it at Goliath, and Goliath falls over. I mean, let's just think about that story for a minute. Well, how was it that little David, 
was able to face enormous Goliath, pretty much a giant fighting machine, with no armor and no weapons, when the entire Israelite army were completely intimidated by him. And the truth is that David had already faced these kinds of fears. When we read about what David used to do, he was a shepherd boy. He was in the field. I imagine that he spent a lot of time just sitting in the field, and I imagine that he got really good at throwing a stone with a sling because there's a rock over there. Here's a big rock, and here's some small stones, and what are you going to do? Target practice. But it says that David, when he was in the field, faced a lion and a bear because that was his job to protect the sheep. So he's faced his fears, he's grown through them, and he knows that God is with him. And he comes to Goliath and, come on, let's do it. Peter in the New Testament. It's all there. Let me jump ahead to the last little bit of the Bible that I want to talk about, which is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's facing a very real fear. I mean, it says in Luke that he was so anguished as he prayed, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I mean, that's proper physiological fear. I'm going to die and it's going to be painful. How did Jesus deal with his fear? You can read this story in Matthew 26. But there are five things that he did to deal with his fear. And I've got them up here. The first thing he did is he sought support. He said to his followers, please come with me. In fact, Matthew 26, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. And here's the next part. He says, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So not only did he ask his friends to come and be with him in the midst of his trouble, he then expressed his emotion in a healthy way. My soul is troubled and sorrowful. You know, half of our psalms are psalms of lament. We need to get it out there. We need to express our fears. We need to do that. We need to express ourselves. And particularly you blokes. We're not very good at this, blokes. We're not very good at just being real and honest about how we feel, but we need to do that. That's what Jesus did. Going a little farther, he prayed his face to the ground and said, my father... If it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but you. So the next thing that Jesus is doing is actually doing something to cope with his fears. He's talking to God. He's praying. He's active. He's not just waiting for the thing to happen in trembling of fear. He's doing something about it. You know, with our kids, sometimes we discover that they're afraid or nervous or anxious about something, but they're not always very good at telling us what that is straight away. Sometimes it takes a bit of time to figure out, why are you behaving strangely? Oh, it's because you're concerned or afraid about this. And once they start to talk about it, well, everything seems to lift. And so Jesus is actively doing that. And then he's doing more than that. He's actually changing his thinking. He's changing his perception. He says to God, please don't make me do this. Please don't make me do this. I would rather not do this. Okay, if it's your will, I will do this. So he switches his thinking. When we're afraid of something, we need to change our thinking. A friend of mine used to say, we imagine ourselves on the other side of the problem. Or another way to use it is to have a PMA, a positive mental attitude. Okay? He changes his thinking. It said in Luke that an angel from heaven came to him and strengthened him. And the last thing Jesus did was he faced his fear. 
Right at the end of this story, he says, okay, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Judas is coming with the soldiers into the garden. Jesus doesn't run away. He gets up and walks towards them. And that's really significant. When we are experiencing fear, we need to be able to face it and grow through it. Whatever that fear is, to be honest, Jesus trusted his father. He trusted, he, he trusted that he could face his fears. And in Jesus' case, when he did that, he changed the whole course of the world. Now, you and I could change the whole course of somebody's life by facing our fear of rejection. It's never going to be as bad as what it was for Jesus anyway. And that's the challenge today. Is that by inviting somebody to come to Alpha or come to church, we could actually change the course of somebody's life. A little quote here from a guy called Chris Thurman from a book called The Lies We Tell Ourselves. At the age of 20, we worry about what others think of us. At the age of 40, we don't care what they think of us. At 60, we discover they haven't been thinking about us at all. (laughs) Who is God calling us to invite? Now, I want to do something a little bit different for the last three or four minutes of this morning. Okay? As you see, I've got the cross down here, and that's for a reason. Because if you look, if you're sitting at the end of a row, you'll find some post-it notes. Okay? If you look under your chair at the end of a row, you'll find some post-it notes. And what I'd like you to do is hand them down the row so that everyone's got one or maybe two. And can you just distribute some of these? And you'll need a pen as well. If you haven't got a post-it note, we've got some spares here. And you'll need a pen as well. And if you don't have a pen, we've got some pens to share. And we're just going to do something as an act of worship together to face this challenge. Okay? So get yourself a pen and a post-it note. If you can, you can, might be able to share a pen with the person next to you. There's going to be a bit of time to do this. And this is optional. You don't have to do this. I'm not going to force anyone, but I'd like to explain what I'd like to do, the challenge that I'd like to issue to us. It's not going to take too long, but it's simply this. I want us to stop and be quiet, and I want us to pray and ask the Holy Spirit if there is anybody that he is calling us to invite to Alpha, to this church, to go and have a conversation with and invite them to come and do something here. Now, I'm just going to be quiet, and we're going to ask God. You can do whatever will help you concentrate. You can close your eyes if you'd like to. Um, And we're just going to be quiet for a couple of minutes. And we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And specifically, to give us a name. Okay? To give us a name. Just going to wait on God. Is that all right? So, Holy Spirit, we want to face up to the challenge that you have for us in 2018. And we know that this is on your heart. And I just want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each and every one of us and show us who you are calling us to invite. We're not going to make these names up. We're not just going to play this game. We're going to actually ask you. Now, some of you might get a name and some of you just might not, and that's okay. But If you get a name, just listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying about who it is that he is inviting us to invite to the church, to Alpha. 
And what we're going to do is this. If you have a name, I would love you to write that name on the piece of paper in front of you. If you don't have a name, that's okay. But what I'm going to invite you to do if you don't have a name is just to put a question mark on the piece of paper in front of you. And what that is, is that's your way of saying, I'm still open to hearing what you're telling me. Okay, maybe the Holy Spirit is going to show you at some other time who it is that he is calling us to invite to church or to invite to Alpha. And so if you have a name, I'd love you to write that name on your piece of paper. If you don't have a name, I'd love you to write just a question mark on that piece of paper. And in a second, I'm going to invite us as an act of worship and as an act of commitment almost to follow through on what the Holy Spirit is inviting us to do. And I'm just going to invite you very simply to come up and stick your piece of paper on the cross. And after this morning, I'll get rid of them. So you don't need to worry about being sensitive to people and all of that. This is just a prayer, an act of commitment between us and God where we say, okay, I hear you calling me to invite this person. And by coming up and sticking that on the cross, I'm saying yes, and I'm ready to commit to make that invitation. Remembering that whether that person says yes or no is absolutely nothing to do with you. It's simply a commitment to invite, to have an inviting conversation. And if you don't know who that person is, but you are open to hearing what the Holy Spirit says, And stick a question mark down and come and stick that on the cross as your act of worship. And that's how we're kind of going to finish this morning. Is that okay? So when you're ready, why don't you just come? It'll take a little while. Stick your piece of paper on the cross. Nicole's got something to share. Go for it. Hi. um, I asked God to give me a dream just for me, actually, a week ago. And... um, he did give me a dream, but one of the parts of it, um, I think it's probably for us as a church. And in the dream, I was with a friend on a bus, and um, there was a lady sat in front of me, and she looked fine. She didn't look like she needed anything. And my friend was like, "I need. I feel God saying to offer this lady a coat, this bag of coats." And I was like, "Oh no, no, no! Please don't. That's so embarrassing." And she doesn't look like she needs a coat. And this, this friend just looked at me in the dream and said, no, no, I need to take the risk. And she handed the lady the bag of coats. And the lady was like, wow, that's so exciting. And she took the bag and, and her reaction was very different to what I thought it would be in the dream. And she actually made a new coat out of three of the coats. And I felt like God was saying, Nicole, you were fearful, but your friend in the dream took the risk. Start taking risks. And the other thing that I felt him say was, we will give things and think they'll be used a certain way, but actually the person on the receiving end might make something different out of what we're offering, and we just need to take the risk. Thank you, Nicole. Brilliant. Thank you. So look, the Lord is here. First of all, thank you for responding so readily. And why don't we pray? Why don't we all just, you could stretch out your hand. I might even do this. I'm going to lift this up so you can see it. It's quite heavy though. Perhaps Chris, you can help me. (laughs) Bless you. Why don't we stretch out our hands and why don't we just pray about this. Pray into what God wants to do here with these people. So Lord, we thank you for these challenges, these calls that you are inviting us to do. I thank you for our response today. And Lord, we thank you 
That for every one of these pieces of paper, that represents a conversation that you're inviting us to have about inviting someone to come. And I pray that those conversations will be just drenched in your Holy Spirit. And Lord, thank you that it's our responsibility to fulfill the first part of this conversation. And we just readily and gladly, by putting these things on the cross, give the rest of this thing up to you. Lord, would you do what you want to do? We just bless you for these opportunities and for this challenge. Lord, we want to be in the flow of your spirit. We want to be walking the path that you are leading us on. And even as we pray about that, there is just a sense as well that I think that what God wants to do this morning, we're almost done, but God wants to minister into anybody who is particularly feeling fearful about anything, about this stuff or about anything else. And if you are here and you know that this stuff touches a nerve with you, if you know that, this, that there is a fear in your heart that you know is, you know, you need, to help, you need help with, just really believe because I just know that God, his Holy Spirit, he wants to come and deal with some of those things. And so if that's the place that you're in and you'd like to encounter God in the midst of that, come forward and we would love to pray for you. Okay, there is an opportunity. You don't have to stay in fear. You know, we talked about how Jesus didn't even face fears on his own. We don't face these things on our own. So if that's where you're at and you'd like to receive some prayer, now is a really great time. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Chris, you can put that down. We thank you for what you're doing and we thank you that you're here to deal with fear and that perfect love casts out fear. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Thank you for your presence. And why don't you come? If that's you, if that's the place that you're in and you'd like someone to pray for you, there's just time and space to do that now. And there are people in the church who would just love to pray. Thank you. And then more. If that's you, just come. And we'd love to pray for you. It may be that you've come with another need this morning. You need some healing or you'd love us to pray with you for something else. And we would love to pray with you too. And also, as Nigel mentioned, if you've been coming on to, for, to church for a while and you've never just fully and completely surrendered your life to Jesus, you've been enjoying the atmosphere, enjoying being here on Sundays, but you haven't said, yes, I want to follow you, today's a great day to do that. And why don't you come too? So if you're part of one of our life groups or teams, we need uh, some folk up here to pray. So why don't you come first? And then if you're coming to respond to any of those things, like to pray for any other reason, then you come forward too. Now's a good time. The band are going to play some worship, and so you're welcome to, to engage with that. But if you need to go and release your, your kids and have a coffee, then do that too. And we look forward to seeing you either at the evening service today or again next Sunday. Thanks. God bless. have a couple more ladies please to come forward and pray that would be great and if your fear is coming forward for prayer then today is a good day to face it why don't you come down in fact bring someone with you if you need to
Need another gentleman at the front? That'd be lovely. Thank you to come and pray. Stop calling. 